It doesn't matter how seasoned you are as a business owner, how stacked your creative team is, or how much your clients love you, things will go wrong. It could be a bad judgment call or a full-on wheels falling off the bus situation. Yep, and when trouble comes, that is where leadership really steps in. The Speakeasy Podcast, honest conversations about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. This episode, we're featuring another cocktail from American Fifth Distillery. Did you know they were Lansing's first distillery? That's neat. I didn't know that. But this one, I do know, is called a chai bourbon sour, and I love it. The experts over at American Fifth crafted this up for us using their chai bourbon, which is a perfect choice for these cooler months. It's combined with house-made simple syrup, lemon, lime, and egg white, with a little bit of bitters and anise. Yum. So good. Guys, it's really pretty in presentation as well, so you need to check out the picture that we've got on our website there for sure. The star anise is really just quite lovely, and I kind of want it to float on top, but I also want to dunk it down in so that it kind of, you know, soaks up. Well, I will say this cocktail is not a fail. (laughs) No, it's not a fail, but you know what? There are a lot of fails in business. That's true. We just can't control everything as hard as we try. But what I do know is that when things fail, it's what you do with it that matters the most. Have you had a big fail recently or not so much? You know, a big fail is kind of relative, right? So there's failures along the way. I think there's different levels of failure. There's miscommunications. There's, you know, internally or externally. I feel like there are missteps all the time, you know, but it's it's about when you catch them or when you correct them or when you redirect that really matters. So I don't know. I don't have a huge failure example as of late. How about you? No, I knock on wood, wouldn't say I do. And I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. If you course correct when something is slightly off, you can avoid the failure, right? So hopefully, yeah. So oftentimes talking about failure is interesting because where in the process do you consider it a failure? Um, When things start to unravel in the middle of a project or if you let that unravel happen and a project really falls down or is a failure when you aren't honest with your client about what happened. So the definition of failure could be an interesting place for us to explore at some point. Yeah, I I often, especially with new clients, I do a lot of education around surprises, right? Like the last thing that I want to do is present them with a surprise at the end. I want them to know when they see the final product that is exactly what they expected because they would have seen things along the way. I want their invoice to reflect exactly what they expected because we gave them a quote and we communicated exactly what their decision-making process was and how that impacted their budget along the way. So at the end, there just shouldn't be surprises because nobody wants, as much as you like a surprise wrapped up with a bow and something that pops out of a box, that's not what our delivery should be (laughs) at the end of a project. No, and clients are beholden to their marketing or communications budgets, and if your surprise affects a year of budgeting... That's no fun. Yeah, and it absolutely could. At the level that we're both operating at, certainly those missteps can impact our clients' annual goals. That's true. So if some missteps happen or if a failure is imminent, what do you do? The first thing I always always tell people is just don't flip out. Just stay rational. Let's have a quick conversation. And then it's really all about... How do we is it what is it that we need to do right now to fix the problem? We need to communicate the issue if it's not already been communicated to us. And then what are the steps we need to do to do a very short-term fix, right? Right. It's really about not letting something unexpected make you lose your cool. So, I think a little bit too is um preparation to handle the unexpected. Your attitude really matters. If you know that 
well, this didn't go the way I planned it, but that doesn't mean things aren't salvageable and let's make steps right now to make that happen. I think you're in a better space. I think, too, um, especially in small business, when you're all operating as a pretty close team, as leaders, we have to be really cognizant that when a problem is presented, our teams are probably going to go into a duck and cover mode like, oh, I'm the one who caused the problem. So I'm going to hide from this or I'm going to worry that this is going to become like I don't want to get I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get shouted at. And so it's really in the short term. It's about you're right. Attitude is everything. It's about solving that short term goal, making sure that whether that's a client need or whether it's an internal issue that you're that you're able to take steps forward together in a calm way. I feel like attitude is everything is the thing I say almost every other day at home because, because, you know, there's drama with kids, right? Yeah. But it's like, oh, but attitude's everything. <laughs> so I kind of feel like I say that all the time. I tried that with my 15-year-old the other day. I told him that he could either choose to have a good year or choose to dislike his school year. So it's his, it's his choice, his attitude about it. It didn't go over as well with a 15-year-old as it used to with five-year-olds, but oh, well. I guess. (laughs) Keep saying it, though. You know, I think taking responsibility is such a brave thing to do. I think mistakes happen all the time, whether they're internal or owned by one person or a team. The sooner you say, "That's, that's my responsibility, the more people can trust you when that happens. And if I say... I'm responsible for that. Then you, as my team member, you can say, well, I had a hand in it too. So that responsibility factor can mitigate the feeling of failure considerably. Absolutely. And I think and I think it all falls on it being true. So as the leader of the organization, if it's a client issue that's presented to you, it, it really is on you to take responsibility for that matter, whether you were at cause for the issue or not. And then when you turn around and face your team after you've solved that problem that you're able to say, you know, it's my responsibility. I didn't arm you with what you needed to, or I didn't communicate clearly what needed to happen, or I didn't train you well enough to know that there's a system for checks and balances. And then that does allow people to step up and say, yeah, I did this, or yeah, I did that, or I didn't know, or I forgot. Um, and then that allows you to have a continuing conversation. But in the in the short term, attitude is everything in terms of um, making sure you're taking care of the immediate need. That's true. So really, as a leader, I, what I hear you saying is that you can make a space internally where accepting responsibility and working on solving it is part of your culture and a, a very positive one at that. I, I've had clients say to me, you know, I've got this thing happening. I don't want to get yelled at. And I, I just keep imagining, like, yelling at people at work. And it just is such an odd, just such an odd, like, I'm just trying to imagine what that would even look like. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, who, we yell in our office. We yell at the sky or we complain about a situation, but not at someone. Mm-hmm. Yelling at another human feels just very presumptuous. And I don't, I can't imagine what that would be like for a workplace. That would be terrible. It would be terrible. But I, I do think that after the immediate needs are, are handled, then it does it does require sometimes challenging conversations. It doesn't require yelling. But, but you then have to, as a leader, maybe individually, certainly with your with your team, reflect on what happened, figure out what were the steps that what were the steps or the causation for the issue so that you can really figure out how to uh, mitigate it in the future. Right. The advantage, I mean, I, I guess there's a positive in every situation. The advantage of a massive failure 
is that you can critique it and you can chop it apart and figure out what went wrong and how you can resolve that so that next time your processes are better or your communication is better or you have seen a pattern of repeated behaviors or repeated failures that you can then make a process or modify so that next time you hit it out of the park. Yeah, and I think in both of our industries, even when there aren't problems present, you're making you're we're both creating products that will live in the world that essentially at some point somebody's going to poke a hole in, <laughs> find a problem with, right? So the opportunity that you have when a client, for example, pokes a hole in your process that you think is sound, it's just an opportunity to correct it and make sure it doesn't happen again and let you know, you're like a sieve at that point. Sure. Well, and it's funny because we use that phrase in our office a lot, especially we deploy a website and we say, now we're going to work on breaking it. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll build something and we beta test and chink at it and see what we can do to break it um, so that we can fix it and make it stronger before it deploys to outside audiences. And if you take that theory and apply it to internal processes, it does tend to work very well. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the people who test your internal processes are often your clients. And so you have to have some grace when, when your clients find a hole in your process. But I think, too, even though I think I, I, I really believe in reflecting and figuring out you know, what went wrong and seeing if there's a pattern. And I agree with you there. But I'm a big believer in not spending too much time in the rearview mirror. I feel like the longer you spend looking in that rearview mirror, the longer you're not then focused moving forward. So there's a balance, I think, in reflecting, looking at it, but then moving forward decisively so that you don't lose traction. Sure. You take what you can to benefit from that failure. You, you find the thing you need to change or the process you need to enact, and then you move forward. You don't dwell on it. And, you know, we, we look at a lot of the processes in our office the same way. We do timekeeping so we understand how long it will take us, not so we can be punitive to somebody because they've taken too long, but it allows us to better budget and better schedule things in the future. Yeah. So just getting that process to the point where you are gathering the data from what happened so that you can integrate that into your plans for the future requires that you turn around and start to look forward as, as fast as possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even when you're tracking, we do the same thing. When we're, when we're tracking, sometimes it's hard. I think even internally, when we're when we're tracking the, our time on um, unfunded projects or internal projects, sometimes people feel uncomfortable tracking time for things that aren't revenue generating because they feel that it may, quote unquote, look bad for what their productivity is. But it's if I don't have a sense for the amount of time it takes to develop a new process or develop some new animation or develop a new uh, way to color grade, then I don't have an understanding of how to make that possible for a client and how to make that um, an offering for a client in the future. So in the same way, looking at um, a failure that could have happened either internally or externally just allows you to have those tools. Absolutely. I think I think at the end of the day, though, um, after you've taken the time to really reflect and to have a responsible conversation and also educate uh, that you really still have to really, as a leader, you have to figure out the why. Like what? So you have to really think about why the thing failed. And to me, I don't remember where I read this forever ago, but it has always stuck with me. But there's there's kind of like a pyramid for why things fail. And if you think about the very top of the pyramid, there's a tactical failure, which is kind of the day to day kind of boring failure that, you know, somebody just kind of didn't do their job or they didn't check off the box, right? And then kind of in the middle, there's the strategic issue. There's something related to the what failed. But then at the very base of that pyramid, 
Sometimes it's the vision that fails, which is kind of the more threatening one in my eyes. It's the why, the big time why. Like we're all pointed towards a certain direction. It's actually that that made it fail. So I feel like that's the one that feels the most threatening to me. Those failures that uncover a systematic, culture-wide problem with alignment somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's either I've pointed my ship towards this industry. We're going to go after this industry, or we're, you know, you know, as a as a vision, our company is going to go in this direction, or as a vision, this project is going to go in this direction, and it breaks because the vision's wrong. It's like that, you know, the bedrock wasn't settled enough or something. And so you either need to, I think, either realign or abandon the vision, which is... Sad and difficult. <laughs> sad and difficult and <laughs> confronting for a yeah. leader. Well, I think that there's another aspect, actually, that you can put in it in making sure that everything is well-placed to support your vision. So when you talk about tactical failures, not checking off a box, for example, um, some people are really bad at checking off boxes and some people are really bad at keeping notes and, mm-hmm. you know, especially dealing with um, creative thinkers, they might not be process-oriented. So does that point to the fact that maybe you need someone who is process-oriented to keep that ship sailing mm-hmm. upright? And so those tactical failures sometimes are very easy to fix by staffing differently or assigning duties differently. Mm-hmm. Those strategic ones take a little more time to fix, but they're also quite productive. Sure. The vision one, though, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's like make-or-break-your-business stuff. Um, I think it can be. I think, well, so for the vision for a project is a little different than the vision for your company, right? Sure. <laughs> the vision for your company is quite personal, and the vision for a project is also personal, but it's a, it should be a shared thing. With you, with your client. So, in theory, if your client has bought into the vision for a project, then it breaking um, is because there's a lack of role awareness, or uh, the business need wasn't clearly understood, or the target audience, or or maybe even just the data that all that's based on wasn't sound. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it's not to say that that isn't. Um, in your area of responsibility, but it's still, if the vision's not right, then the vision's just not right. Well, but it is in some ways your your area of responsibility because doing this over and over, such as we do, I can often see earlier than a client can when that vision might be off. Because I think you talked about this in an earlier episode, you can see around a corner mm-hmm. because you've been around the corner a hundred times. Yeah. And so knowing that resolution helps you to craft a vision that you know can be successful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Failure is one of those interesting topics because it is at once very trendy to talk about in entrepreneurial words Mm -hmm. or worlds that um, it's good to fail and it's okay to fail. But deep down, I think people are very afraid of failing, especially when you are self-employed or you are in a small business. A failure can feel very expensive. There's not a lot of margin necessarily. So while we sometimes talk a big talk about everyone should fail, Einstein failed, Thomas Edison failed a lot in budget-driven worlds, there's not the grace or the margin to, to be able to fail as much as we would like to. So I think we all sometimes harbor a fear of it. But I think there are ways to accomplish failure and not sink the ship. Yeah, I think that as leaders, we all have to have practice. We're gonna, it, Regardless of what we want to be excellent at, you're going to have to have practice in that area. And so even though we may not have practice, you know, failing all the time, because then we therefore would not be successful business owners, um, we do have to have practice, you know, tripping up, saying the wrong things, uh, not dealing with a situation with an employee as, as well as we could. So 
it, it's just a matter of practicing doing the right thing over and over again that builds that muscle. And I think that, you know, having grace under pressure, staying cool, dealing with the task at hand, those are things that are really, really critical to making sure that you can move forward in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way. Well said, Karen. How did you like that chai bourbon sour? I really liked it. I feel like the bourbon was really mild. It didn't, you know, it wasn't too forward. And, I, you know, I really love the taste of a chai. It's perfect for this time of year. It is. And I do believe I will leave this one out for Santa because it's pretty festive looking. I think Santa might really like this. Santa might like this one. In lieu of a cookie. So check out their website and see all the wonderful recipes that you can make with their handcrafted spirits. Want to contribute to our conversation? Reach out to us on social media at Easy Underground or head over to the website, thespeakeasypodcast.com. Today, more than ever, our internal, external, and client teams might not be in our own backyard. In fact, I think we both have clients that we've never met in person across the country. But for professional communicators, it isn't always easy. Managing virtual relationships to build trust and support long-term success is what we're talking about next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.